I am not Pastor Mucci. <laughs> I apologize for that. But I am Neil. And uh, just let me introduce myself just for a second. Uh, my, day, my day job is Director of Pastoral Care at West Kendall Baptist Hospital, which is like almost near Naples. If you go down to Kendall Drive and you go out to 162nd Avenue, Baptist put a new hospital out there eight years ago, and I'm the Director of Pastoral Care there. So I get to be with people and meet with people and share with people who are hurting every day, and it's a blessing to me. Uh, my wife, you've heard from her a couple of weeks ago. She's a professor of psychology and counseling at Trinity International University, and my, my two daughters are here as well, Emily and Sophia, and we are so glad to be part of the Brooke family. We're so glad to be a part of the Brooke family. We love the phrase, the gospel changes people and people change the world. That's something we can believe in because the gospel is true and the gospel is powerful. And we are here today because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That changes everything, doesn't it? I've been asked to speak on love is war, right? Wow, 1 Corinthians 13 and the last three verses of it. If you give me just permission to have two introductory points before I get going in the text, here it, here it is. Here it is, love is war. I think a lot of us, when we heard love is war, we had this in our mind. Okay, I love my family, I love my spouse, I love my wife, I love my husband, I love my kids, I love, I love pretty much you know, the people who are close to me. So you know what, love is war, you know, it, you know it's not war in my house, it's cool, I'm cool with that. And we say, okay, this is good. I'll just take a breather <laughs> for, for a little bit. And, uh, you know, next, I'll, I'll be challenged next time around, right? Some of us think like that. But I don't think that's what's meant by the title, love is war. What's meant by the title that love is war is that love that God asks us to have is different than the love that the world talks about. It's different. It's different substantially. It's different material. It's different in, in every way possible. And so the war is this. The war is making sure that we are on board with God's love and willing to share God's love. Because the challenge comes from Jesus himself in, in, in Matthew's gospel. And when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he says to, he says to the uh, disciples and the people who are listening to him, he said, you know, even the Gentiles love their families what do you do more than others and so if you love your family today god bless you but jesus's question to all of us today is what do we do more than others and so the idea behind love is war is to get us to think spiritually about what god's love is like to empty ourselves of the pride that we have in terms of, of love, like, oh, I'm, I'm good at love, and to pursue God-like love in all of our relationships. So I trust your life is not characterized by too much war in your relationships, but it needs to be characterized by love, God's love, in all that we do or say. Now, one other point just to begin with. One was about war. The second point is about we want our kids to be like us, right? No, you don't say that out loud, but you want your children to be like you. You want them to mimic you in some positive way, right? That's, that's you know, it was just Father's Day a, a few weeks ago. And we want, uh, us dads want our kids to follow in our footsteps. Now, I don't think either one of my daughters will be hospital chaplains, but I do think, I do want them to, you know, pick up some good things that I've taught them over the years. But if you're a parent today, you know something, don't you? You know that your kids don't always pick up the good things. 
I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, and I grew up in church, and uh, we were taught to polite swear. So we said, we said, dang, <laughs> dang nabbit. <laughs> and things that sound really funny, right? Sound really funny, sound really cornball, right? Imagine me with two young daughters, and one of my daughters, I don't know which one it was, but I have a feeling I could identify her. Um, I, I'm, she's frustrated with something, and she looks down and she says, dang! Uh, oh, goodness. They're picking up the wrong stuff from Dad. I trust over time that they'll pick up some good stuff too. But you know what I mean? Do your child ever mimic you in something that you didn't want them to mimic you in? Think about this in terms of God, because we are God's children, right? Uh, for those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, we are, we're God's children, and God wants us to be like him. And sometimes I think we get it all wrong. Sometimes I think that, you know, have you ever met someone who knows everything? Have you met that person? They have an answer to all of your questions. They have a solution to all your problems. Even if you're not looking for a solution, even if you don't think you have a problem, they have an answer for you. Those people are trying to mimic, mimic God's omniscience. Omniscience is that great word that means God knows everything. And we know people who try to mimic God by knowing everything, right? God has never asked us as his children and does not expect us to know everything. He doesn't. He doesn't. The Bible also teaches that God is sovereign, right? God is sovereign. But God has never asked us as individuals to have extreme control over everything. In fact, in fact, Almost everybody I know struggles with wanting to have control. And we want to mimic God's control over everything. We want to change people's lives. We want to change them right now. We want to zap them into, into a, in a different and better place. Or we want our lives to change immediately. And we want to have control over everything. But if you live just a few years on this earth, you realize that we are not to mimic God's sovereignty. That is not what God has asked us to do. What has God asked us to do? God has asked us to love. God wants us to love. When Jesus was talking to his disciples in John chapter 13, he, he said this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you memorize the Bible. Right? No, he didn't say that. By this you will know that all people, uh, all people will know that you are my disciples that you pray really long periods of time, right? No, that's not what it says. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have 100% church attendance for any given year, right? No. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is such an important chapter. It is such an important chapter because this is what God has asked us to do. This is the quality that God, of God that God wants us to show. This is the proof and the signal to the world that we are different people, that the resurrection of Jesus makes a difference for us because we love one another. I have to say today that that brings us, uh, brings us some great challenges, doesn't it? How does God show his love? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. If God just spent time loving the people who loved him, 
or who were worthy of that love, there'd be no one to love. Because mankind has been in rebellion ever since the Garden of Eden, right? He's been in rebellion since the Garden of Eden. God commends His love towards us. He demonstrates it, Romans chapter 5 says. God commends His love towards us. While we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. God loved us so much when we were unlovely and unlovable that He sent His Son to die for us. That's the kind of love that God wants us to emulate. That's the kind of love that God wants to work in our hearts. That is the kind of love that 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about. So, so if you first started thinking, oh man, the sermon's about getting along with my in-laws. Or it's about, you know, oh, everybody's a jerk, right? And I have to love them. No, it's not about that. It's about making sure that we know what God's love is and that we can share it with others. Pastor Mucci has, uh, in the sermons before this, talks about our, our posture and our prayer. I think a good posture after, uh, for today's sermon is this. God's love is eternal, and we should move in that direction. God's love is eternal, and we need to move in that direction. And our prayer has been the same every week, and I continue the same prayer. And I, I trust that you've been praying this prayer in the, during the series of sermons. God, help me to receive your love and strengthen me to display it. God, help me to receive your love and strengthen me to display it. Well, that brings us to our text this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's the last three verses of the chapter. Paul writes, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man... I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. As we think about this text today, I think you know, we make a point on each of the verses. That's, I think that's a fair way of dealing with the text. And we want to really embrace what God's love is for us today. Point number one is taken from verse 11. God's love should lead us to maturity. God's love should lead us to maturity. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man... And I think we can make that a gender-neutral term. When I grew up, whether we're men or women, when I grew up, I gave up childish ways. Love helps us to grow. God's love helps us to mature. It helps our way of thinking through things and thinking about things. If we truly know what God's love is, God is going to enable us to handle life's most difficult situations and to navigate some of the really tricky spots of life. If that love is true and our understanding of that love is deeper and deeper each day, what's going to happen is, is that God is going to change us and allow us to navigate a, a, what I think is a rather difficult world. Because what happens is, is that our circumstances so often overwhelm us. Because life is filled with these crazy circumstances. You're driving along, you get this call, something bad. Oh no, right? 
a catastrophe, a tragedy, a hardship, a heartache, bad doctor's report, downsizing at work. How do you get through all that? It's tough. Circumstances pile and pile and pile on top of each other until we're weak and we, and we, say, we look up and say, Lord, what on earth is going on? If you've ever felt that way, you are in good company. Because if you read the Bible through, what you realize is that so many of the people in the Bible have gone exactly through that same experience. Where the prophet Jeremiah himself says, Lord, why have you deceived me? Some really godly people had some really deep and probing questions for God. And God's answer to them and to us and to me and to you is to know how much God loves you. And to know that love is never going to change no matter what phone call you get, no matter what report you get, no matter what hardship you get, no matter anything of the sort, God will never abandon you. And that's the love that's different than the love of the world. Because the love of the world will turn on you in a second. You can be popular and famous and everybody, everyone loves you. And then what's the expression, kids? They drop off, right? And the love drops off too. And the idea is, is that the, idea, the world will turn on you in a second but God will never, ever turn on you. That's the kind of love we need to navigate difficult situations. And the idea is that love leads us to growth. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And that's why we have to be different in, the world, in our lives than, than we are in the world. Because the world says, if you, if you want to experience love, you have to earn it. You have to earn love. And so a lot of people enter into a relationship with God just like they're in the world and they have to realize, and, and they realize, they, they come to this knowledge that, oh my goodness, I have to do stuff so God will love me. We're really glad you're here on a rainy day. Super glad. Thank you for coming, right? God's love is not dependent on whether you attend a church today. Please come back next week, right? <laughs> Please come back next week. But you know, God will still love you if the rain kept you away today. God will still love, love you if you didn't read the scripture today. God will still love you if, you if you forgot to pray. God will still love you. I think it's wise to do all of those things. It's wise to pray and it's wise to read the scripture. It's wise to do those things. But God's love isn't going to change on you. And so people, people say, I have to do all this stuff. I have to do all this stuff so that God will love me. And the Bible says, no, that's not true. When we were sinners, Christ died for us, right? That's the bottom line. And so, be, be, you know where I'm going with this? Because I've, I work in a hospital. I work with people who are sick. And you know what they say to me sometimes? The church people. They say, pastor or chaplain or, or Neil, whatever they call me. They say, I was really good. I went to church. I did everything right. I took care of my body. Now I have cancer. Those people who ask those questions, it's those are the right questions to ask. Absolutely right. But you have to be able to hear the answer. The answer is, God never entered into a deal with you that said, you know what, I'm going to keep you healthy all your life. God never entered a deal with you that you'd never be sick. you never have to spend a day in a hospital. The deal God entered in with you is, I'm going to love you no matter what. That's, that's the deal. 
And we say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us no matter what. You love us no matter what. And we accept that and we need to embrace it because that will help us grow. So if you get some bad news tomorrow, I pray you don't get bad news. But if you get some bad news tomorrow, God hasn't checked out on you. God is still there with you. And God still loves you. And God will walk with you every step of the way through the bad news. God will walk with you. He will love you. The world may abandon you. The world may leave you aside. The world may turn their back on you. But God never will. When you learn that, when you grow through that, you become a much more mature Christian. And so that's why there's wisdom in age, not chronological age necessarily, because we know some old and foolish people, but there's wisdom and spiritual maturity. A reference I thought was important is 2 Peter chapter 1. Listen to, listen to what Peter says in another place. For this very reason, Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and, with, and brotherly affection with love. Peter puts together a bunch of Christian virtues, and he says, add to your faith, add to your faith, grow in your faith, develop your faith, look for this, and the ultimate is love. Have love be part of your life it will lead you to maturity. That's verse 11. Verse 12. God's love leads to hope. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What is Paul talking about here? Good sound effects, right? I hope you see that there's a progress in verse 12. There's a now and there's a then. He says it two different times. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. This goes along with the idea of, of maturity from the previous verse. It's the idea of knowing that there is something beyond today. We wish we had the answers to our problems today. Now is the then, but we see at a mirror darkly. And this is the place where, you know, you look up something about ancient mirrors and you realize that they did not have high quality mirrors back then. They had polished sheets of metal and they were kind of dark. And you really couldn't see very well in the mirror. And in fact, the, the word of darkly also is connected with the word enigmatically, problematically, mysteriously. And the idea is this. Do you ever feel like you're walking in the dark? What's God doing in my life? What's happening in my life? I wish God would tell me. I wish someone would come and tap me on the shoulder and say, this is what's happening or that's what's happening. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that were true. Even the Apostle Paul, who has this, really, it seems like this super access to God and a super godly guy, and he's starting all these churches and having visions of the Lord and all these things. Even he says, I'm, I'm looking in a mirror darkly now. Please don't be frustrated by the now. 
don't be frustrated. We do live in a world where we see in a mirror darkly. We don't understand everything that's going on. We don't have a full comprehension of why things happen. I wish I could sit with patients and say, you know, I know exactly why this happened to you. But you know what? That's not, that's, we don't know that. We don't know the answers to those questions. Pastors wish that they could sit down with their congregants who are going through terribly difficult times and say, you know what? I, this is exactly why all this stuff happened to you. And God says, God says, no, that's, that's not the deal. We help people walk through things. We help point people to God. We help remind people that God loves them. But we still in the now don't have these answers that we're seeking. Do you have a list somewhere in your Bible, in your mind, of the questions you have for God? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? What's going on here? You have a list like that? My list got so long, I, I guess I just hit delete for, for a while and, and, and cleared it up for a while, and the list starts piling back up again because there's a lot of stuff I have questions about. I don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong to have questions. I don't think it's wrong to process life as it comes at you. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I, what I do think is that we have to accept God's answer. And that's the, that, that's the battle of faith. God says to us, I love you. That's his answer. I love you. You may not know the answer now. You may not know the answer 10 years from now. You may not know the answer until you get to heaven. But the now is here. But there will be a then. I mean, if you circle in your Bible, if you're highlighted in your Bible, if you take notes, just, you know, make capital the word then, right? Then, because there's going to be a then. Your heart is begging for a then. We know what now is like. We need a then. And God's then is a promise. Now we're in an age of promises, right? We're in a political time and candidates making promises and so forth. But if you've lived long enough, you know that a lot of those things don't ever really pan out that people sometimes make promises that they can't keep or they're not unable to keep for whatever reason. And you know, it maybe you've been let down by people who've made promises before. And the idea is that when God makes a promise, God's promises are ironclad. He never walks away from a promise. He never abandons his children. His love is forever. And so there will be a then to come. A then, thank God for then. I shall fully know i shall know fully even as i have been fully known that gives me hope wait wait you hear what it says even as i have been fully known and maybe god has you here today for this reason what you're going through today you don't think anybody knows about it's in your heart you have that heart pretty guarded. It's pretty, it's tight. It's locked up. Nobody knows. Because if people knew, you might fall apart. Your life might be different. It might be changed. And it's okay, you know, protect your heart, the Bible says. But this is what I want you to know. And this is what I want you to hear. From God's word, if you are a child of God, God fully knows what you're going through today. He knows the struggle. He knows the pain. He knows it. He knows it. You don't have to dress up and try to impress God with the way we look on the outside. God knows the deepest part of our hearts. And you know what the amazing thing is? He still loves us. 
He loves us despite our doubts and our, and our concerns and our issues and our problems and, and all, the, all our stuff. God still loves us. Can you believe it? If we could just tap into the eternal resource of God's love, we will have hope. Why are people so hopeless today? Even amongst Christians, I sense a lot of fear among Christians these days. A lot, a lot of fear about stuff. There's a lot of upsetment because we, somehow we've forgotten that God was the one in control. And that we have brothers and sisters across this globe who have suffered a, a lot more than, than some of us have. And, and you know what? God has gotten them through that too because God loves them too. Has anyone ever handed you a check and said, don't cash this until next week. You've had that, right? That tells you a couple things, right? The person is trying to be very polite and say, I don't have the money to cash the check. Right? Well, some of us treat God's love like it's an empty bank account. Uh, you know what? I can't afford to show God's love to people because there's nothing in that account. You know, I would be much more loving in my life but, but I don't have the resources to be loving. I don't, I don't have the heart to be loving. If I draw my, my, my moral, spiritual account, I don't have anything to give anybody. Let's tap into God's love today. Let's tap into the God whose love never dwindles, never hits a zero balance. God's love is eternal and forever and abounding and profound and deep and everything. You can never exhaust God's love. You can go on a shopping spree with God's love of showing love to people. Not because you have the personal strength to do it, because we, our bodies get tired and our spirits get tired, but because God's love is everlasting. We have hope today because of God's love. Do you, I hope... I mean, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to say this as clearly as I can because it's so important. We miss it because the world has convinced us that love is temporary and we run out of love and we have to just love the people really close to us or the people who really only agree with us or the people who, who are, you know, come from similar family backgrounds. Those are the only people we can love. Don't spend any more time and energy on love because there's not enough resources for it. The God of the Bible says, my love is eternal. I never abandon my people you can write that check because God has all the funds in the world to cash it for you. That leads us to number three. God's love should lead us to maturity. God's love should lead us to hope. Have, have you read 1 Corinthians before? It's a great book. It's a super book. I probably should spend just a second on talking about it. I can't help but think of I've been in South Florida for how many years? Over 20 years. Between 20 and 25 years I've been in South Florida. And the Christian community here is an awesome community. It's awesome. But we, we hurt and we struggle and, and churches go through, you know, this, isn't, this is not the Bible Belt. It's not the Bible Belt. And so um, when I read about the Corinthian church, I kind of think about churches here in South Florida. And some of my experiences I've been through. The church in Corinth, is a gifted church gifted it's diverse it has all kinds of people in it, it and so it's, it's, a, it's really cool in a lot of ways but there's one thing that this church doesn't have it doesn't have maturity it does not have maturity you ever hear the word carnal christian 
The word carnal Christian comes from the book of 1 Corinthians where the word carnal is used. Um, these people argued about everything. You know whose ministry I got saved under? Paul's. I'm better than you. Oh, no, I got saved under Peter's ministry. Oh, no, no. Uh, someone else baptized me. And so people, how immature is that, right? People argued about their spiritual gifts. Oh, I have the gift of tongues. No, I have the gift of prophecy. Oh, I have the gift of healings. I'm better than you. No, you're better than me. Oh, let's, let's all fight. Right? How crazy is that? And Paul is saying, you know what, guys? All those gifts are great, and all those gifts are wonderful. And you can have the, the most gifted church in the world, but if you don't have love, absolutely nothing you do is worthwhile. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says, right? You can have, you have gifts and talents and abilities, and you can have the biggest crowd in town, but if you don't have love, it is zippo, it is zero, it is nothing. That's what Paul's saying here. And so that, why, why is that such an important thing to Paul? Because, you know, people through their human skill sets can accomplish very interesting and significant things. But a lot of those things, most of those things, Paul would argue all of those things are temporary. After the one great leader goes, things fall apart. Was it not like what it used to be? And God says to us here in 1 Corinthians 13 that the reason why love is so important, the reason why love is war, the reason why we have to, we have to invest in love, the reason, the reason why we have to move in the direction of the eternity of love is this. So now faith, hope, and love abide. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. These three, but the greatest of these is love he's talking about you guys you guys are impressed with your tongues gift it's going to pass away some of you are impressed with your knowledge it's going to pass away some of you are impressed because you can prophesy or heal or you know name your gift and and you know and paul says those things are going to pass away the thing that ends it all is love If Jesus told the disciples, you, people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Doesn't it seem to you like love is an important thing to God? Doesn't it seem to you that, you know, maybe we need to pay more attention to love. When you love someone with God's love, when you approach life situations, it's hardships, it's heartaches, it's pains, with God's love, do you know what you're doing? You're doing God's work. You're doing the work of the kingdom. Have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come. Right? When we pray thy kingdom come, sometimes we expect clouds opening and chariots coming and stuff, horns and fanfare and so forth. But maybe Jesus wants us to be part of the answer to that prayer in this way. When you show love, you're doing something that's eternal. When you show God's grace and kindness to somebody, you're showing God's kingdom. I love my job at the hospital because I meet people who never go to church. I meet people who are not religious. In South Florida, there's a lot of not religious people, right? 
We know you know that. We all know that. And that's okay. I meet people that may never darken the door of the church, but guess what? I get to show them God's love. And I feel my little, you know, this little light of mine, I feel like it's a big, big ray of light in a very dark place. And I know where you are too. You can show God's love and make such a difference in the world. You're doing God's work. You are doing God's work. You are part of the answer to thy kingdom come when you show love. It'll grow us up. It'll give us hope. It will last forever. You know, I've had, I've had a couple of friends die in the past month. And it's, that's tough. It's hard. One, one was close to death and kind of expected. And the other, I went to a conference with last week. He had cancer. And it, he was dealing with it. But he went to the conference. I'm sitting in Orlando with him at a conference. And three days later, he's dead. It makes you really wonder about what lasts in life, right? What's important in life? What's really valuable in life? Our culture will tell us that the most important thing is things. It's money, it's fame, it's power. All those things we talked about were talked about in the, God, in, the, in the gods we worship series, right? We all were like convicted by that, right? What's, what's really important? It's love. If you come to the end of your life and you have millions in your bank account, but you have love, no love, you have nothing. You have nothing, to, you have nothing when you go before God's presence. Nothing. If, you've been, if you have 100% church attendance, but you don't have love, you don't have anything. If you read through the Bible 15 times, but you don't have love, you have nothing. So today, move in the direction of God's love because it is eternal. It's, gonna, it's a thing that's going to last. It's a thing that's going to outlast us. And we pray this prayer. God, help me to receive your love and strengthen me to display it. God bless you all. Amen.